good morning, good morning. I'm so grateful to how God has just worked everything out for his glory. Amen? Everything for his glory. Keep that in mind. Today we're continuing our sermon series on the names of God. And to date we have studied two of them. Elohim and El Elyon. Elohim meaning God our maker, El Elyon meaning God most high. And today we're going to look at a name that if pronounced incorrectly might sound like one of the two blues brothers. Elroy might be the way we might mispronounce it, but it's actually to be pronounced El-Ra-E, El-Ra-E, but it's, it's, it's still a good, good little humorous moment, isn't it? You can re- might remember before that the name Elohim is in the Bible 2,500 times or more. The name El-Yon, El-El-Yon, around 30 times, but our name for today, El-Ra-E, is found only one time in all of Scripture. So, you know, why even bring it out? Why not focus on one of the other names that's in there over and over and over again? And it just so happens that today is the day that God intended it to be our focus. El-Rai. And we find it in Genesis chapter 16. And the one time, the one time that this name is used in all of Scripture, we're going to see it in this most extreme, touching, moving examples ever. Genesis chapter 16. And the name El-Rai, as you see up on the screen, is translated as... The God who sees. The God who sees. Now, when I was younger, I remember coming home from grade school, elementary school. This has been first, second grade. And I remember my mother standing at the ready, belt in hand. Okay, what does she know? And then she would then tell me the things that I had gotten in trouble for at school that day. How'd you know, Mom? And this was her reply. A little birdie told me. Well, I had watched Disney. I knew birds could talk, so I believed her. A little birdie told me. And it wasn't until years later that I visited Carrick Elementary again that I noticed that there was a plaque on the wall of all the PTA mothers of the year, and her name was on there for a couple of years. And I began to understand, it, yeah, okay, she, she had it. It was an inside job there. I, I got that. I, I understood now. So being a daddy, well, being a daddy is fun. Amen? Being a daddy is, is, is fun. And one of the things that I would always do to one of my boys, so Marina, you're off the hook. So for one of my boys, is I would bring him into the room, and I would sit him down, and I would look at him in the eye, and I would say, I know what you've done. And I would just sit there and look at him. I didn't know anything. Where you at, Mama? 
And then he would start spilling the beans. Oh, my, it was so great. He would sit there, and he'd be sitting in that chair, and he, you could see his head drop. I would look over at Mom. And <laughs> stop, stop laughing before he starts looking back up at me again. So are you going to tell me, or do I have to tell you? So good. I love being a daddy. It was so great. This boy, he would just spill the beans. And then, then he would get in trouble because then he confessed what he did. And they would, well, you did what? Okay, here's your punishment. That's something my mama told me, taught me. I didn't have to say a little birdie told me. I always said this, daddy always knows. And that was the phrase, daddy always knows or daddy's going to find out. And I love that. I love that. And whenever I see this name, El Rai, in Scripture, it tells me not only that Daddy always knows, but Daddy has already known. That's what it tells me. El Rai means that we worship a God who sees it all. What does he see? That's where Genesis 16 comes in. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram, I was going to say being the dummy that he is, but I think that's already implied agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, son of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Rai. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Rai. It is still there between Kadesh and Bored. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. And all the elderly in the church went, Ooh. Ooh. 
I had one that said amen. Loves children, don't you? You just love children. So we find some disturbing things in our passage today, don't we? We find things that, well, they just wouldn't be acceptable in our era today. And when you and I read from the Bible, it's important for us to remember the cultural context and the period of time it takes place. We don't live in that time. It's far removed from our own. However, what takes place in this passage contains no honor. it's, it's, It's a sin. Hagar is a victim here. And unfortunately, as we translate that to our era today, there are people who are the result and who are a victim of sinful acts against them today. Sinful abuse. They're put in a situation that, well... In some circles, we don't even want to talk about. We want to ignore. Child trafficking is one of them that comes to my mind. And the rise of that, and Atlanta being one of the hot seats for that trafficking in America, it's it's hard not to talk about it. And, And just recently, um, you know, as you watch the news, you're hearing about, you know, these sting operations, these FBI operations where these children are being freed from this trafficking that's taking place. What we find in our passage today, and and let me assure you what we find in the details of our passage today, it is a harrowing situation for a young girl to be in. What we find here in this passage at the same time is a compassionate God in the midst of it. As I was fretting over this passage this week and and how to present it and how to acknowledge the name of God respectfully, And really to kind of start off in such dark terms this morning. Some of us and friends that we know and even family, people in our community are living through the darkest moment in their life right now. And they don't know who to talk to. They don't know what to say or who to say it to. They don't know what the ramifications might be on them if they do go and share the abuse that they're in. Hagar, what did she do? She ran. She ran away. And it was in the midst of her running away, that she is one of the first of all creation to realize Romans 8.28 about how God works and about how God restores, about how God heals and how God can work for good because it's inherent in who he is. 
we sang it? Do we believe it? Do we trust in it? When we're in the midst of conflict, we're in the midst of a circumstance that is devastating, defeating. Sometimes it's hard to see that. Hagar came to see that in this moment in her life. And I think it's powerful. I've shared in weeks past how the names of God given to him are given to him through experience. Through an experience that someone has. And so they, they, they gave a name to God. This is how I know God. And I, and I believe that each of our testimony that, that, that you have, they are, they are unique to you. That is your testimony of how you came to know God. Just consider, put yourself in Hagar's sandals for a moment. And she came to know God as a one who sees her. That sees what is going on in her life. God steps in. God approaches her. God reveals himself to her. You know that phrase, the angel of the Lord that's here? That's, that's not just some simple you know, angel. That's not some you run of your regular everyday angels. In, in some theology books, they attribute this angel of the Lord as a pre-incarnate vision of Jesus Christ. This is Hagar. Just a simple maidservant. And she sees God very personally in this moment. And this is where that, that one and only instance of this name in all of Scripture between this girl who's been abused. Verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Ra'i. I have now seen the one who sees me. What a deeply personal name for God. It, it is a name that no one else in Scripture ever thought to say about God. He's the God who sees me. Yes, he's El Rai. No one else. I mean, we, we, we know this is true. We're going to look at scriptures as to how we know that this is backed by scripture after scripture, reference after reference. But here we have Hagar, the one and only, this girl who has been abused, who's running away from her abuser. And it's the only time that God has spoken to in this way. 
I just, I find this deeply moving, deeply touching. And I think that when we put it in its rightful context, if, if you are one who feels like that you are alone, that you are caught up in something that, that no one can see you through or help you through or free you from, let me introduce to you El Rai. Because he sees you. He sees you. He knows what you are going through. I mentioned a moment ago that Hagar is seemingly one of the first to recognize that Romans 8.28 in her life. Not written for what? Another 3,500 years? And yet she realizes it in her life. What does that look like? So I've got a couple of points for you this morning. First thing to recognize in this name is that this is the God who sees his creation. The God who sees his creation. I told you last week that you should expect as we go through the L names of God that you should expect that my first point every week is, to, is that we recognize God as creator. Because one of the most fundamental ways that we must know God is as creator. And that El at the beginning, referring to Elohim, is a direct reference to this is the God of creation. We, we don't just worship a God, we worship a creator. This isn't just an entity that sees us, this is the creator that sees us. This is the creator we worship. He's never far off. He's near. He's watching over us. Who personally knows our circumstance. Scripture tells us this time and again. Proverbs 15.3 The eyes of the Lord are on every place. Keeping watch on the evil and the good. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Psalm 33, 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. How beautiful is it for us to know that the creator sees us. That God knows what we're going through. That it isn't oblivious to him. That he knows. He sees and here's Hagar running away, fleeing. And God shows up and says, I see you. There are times when we cry out to God, where are you, God? That's where Hagar is right here. In fact, her mind wasn't even on God. And God shows up to tell her that in her abuse, in her battery, in her torn state, I see you. And that's what she says. You see me. And what does he see? Our creator sees, point number two, he sees my struggle. Now, I think it's very easy, especially in depression when we, when we find ourselves in that mindset where we feel like that we are all alone. 
that there is no one who understands. There is no one who sees. There is no one who's paying attention. There is no one who can help me. There is no one who could free me. We get ourselves in that mindset and no one can penetrate it. Well, maybe no person can. But there is a God who sees. Here she is, she's fleeing, and she is running through the desert. Think of a desert moment. It's that dry state. It's, it's being away from it all. It is nobody, nothing around. God is still there. There is no place, no, no valley. You cannot go far, too far west, too far east, south, or north, that God is not there. We, that's held up in Scripture. But yet we get that in our mind. No one gets it. No one understands. No one can free me. God is a God that sees. We get ourselves in that, into a trap thinking that way. She has no family. She has nowhere to really run to. She has actually been moved from her homeland. She has no one there. There is no one to care for Hagar. And being a girl in the desert, Lord, help if the wrong person finds her. God stepped in. That's what he does. Psalm 56 you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. On the very day I call to you for help, my enemies will retreat. This I know, God is on my side. Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Matthew 10, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than the sparrows. 1 Peter 5. Give all your worries and cares to God. For he cares about you. I could list literally dozens upon dozens of scriptures like these. That tell us that God sees. God knows. God cares God understands. God wants to be your rescue. That's what El-Rai meant to Hagar. He had a plan. Point number three. And he saw her significance. One of the things that's striking in this passage is that every time that Sarai and Abram mentions Hagar, she's the maidservant. She's the slave. They never once call her by her name. But when God approached her, when the angel of the Lord appeared to her at that spring in the desert, the first word out of his mouth was Hagar. Hagar. 
Consider that. No one else had the decency to call her by name. That's recorded for us in Scripture. But God. I think there's tremendous meaning to that here. God alone had the decency. And up until this point, we don't even know if Hagar even worshipped God. If, if she even knew who Elohim was. But he knew her. Because he's the creator. He created. He's watching. He knows. And he showed respect to the person who may not have even known him by name yet. God knows our name. And as his creation, he knows each and every one of us by name. Just look at, <coughs> look at John 10. The sheep know me and I know them and I call them by name. He knows the very number of hairs on your head. Barry, that includes you. And now... Elohim has come to the place Hagar had run to. God found her. It wasn't the other way around. It wasn't, oh, hey, here's God. Let me come up to him. No, the angel of the Lord came to her and he called her by name. Truth is, is that most of us will never be noticed we'll never be first in our class we'll never be the one to win the gold medal we'll never be on the list of wealthiest people in the world however if you are hi i'm doug i want to be your friend we'll never we'll, we'll never But when El Rai looks at us, he says, you're the one I died for. He sees significance in you. He sees significance in each of you. And no matter what you've been in, no matter how you've lived your life to date, no matter what you think has been thrown onto you, God sees you. And he knows your name. And he, and he says you are worth his greatest blessing. In fact, you are worth his shed blood. His own sacrifice. The one in whom scripture says that everything was made in him and for him and through him in which he holds all things together, that's the God who sees you. That's the God who knows your circumstance. This is the God. Listen, Psalm 139. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. 
God saw that. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my every thought when far away. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment you know where I am. You know what I am going to say even before I say it. You both precede and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. And Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God showed his great love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He places his anointing over us. He knows us by name, but there's nothing like having him anointing us. I love that psalm. You place your hand of blessing on my head. That's what Hagar's experience right here and now. That not only does God see her, but he sees her significance. Hagar, he spoke her name. He gave value to her. As we enter the next point, I, I can honestly tell you, I don't have all the answers. I read passages like this and my heart breaks because of the situation she's in, but also, but also what God calls her to do. I, I can't explain it. I can, I can give you what makes sense to me. Here is Hagar out in the desert alone. Who knows? She, who she could stumble across. Who she might meet. And God shows up and he tells her, go back to Abram. Here's what we find here is, my next point is that that God... He is the God who sees to your need. And her need in that moment was security and protection. Now, I'm not going to focus so much as to try to explain any of that because I don't have an answer to it other than what I have, what I've tried to spell out just a moment ago. But here's what I think we ought to take away is he told her his plan for her he knows what she's running from he knows why she's running and he also knows where she could possibly end up if she didn't change course when there are forces outside our control, just as Hagar's. They're leading us to make decisions that put us further into danger. God's going to step in and he's going to make the path straighter. He's going to find a way. He's going to prepare a way. He's going to lead us to a way of restoration. And the thing is, is that he not only brought her back... 
But she had a place of prominence because she was then holding Abram's son. And God gave her a promise that was exactly like that to Abram. Well, in terms of the numerical value. Ishmael, we know, would become the father to the Arab world. And you know anything about the climate in the Middle East between Jews and Arabs or Christianity and Muslims. This is where it begins. It begins here. Out of a sinful decision that Abram and Sarai made. As I said, I have no explanation other than God knows what he's working things out toward. Yet when we are in the midst of the trouble that we find ourselves in, the abuse that we find ourselves in, God has a way out. God has an answer to free you and to rescue you. Psalm 42, Psalm 40, verse 2. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. The thing is, here what we find in this passage is that, is that Hagar is then taken care of. And for the time following, there is, there is no understanding that she was treated any worse. That she was treated respectfully by Abram. And that it says even, Abram loved Ishmael. Psalm 3 says, you are Lord, you are a shield about me. You are the one who lifts my head. Psalm 27, 5, for in the day of trouble, he will conceal me. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. You see, this is what God does. He frees, he rescues, he restores He doesn't just see it. He doesn't just say, hey, I know this is happening to you. Sorry. No, he says, let me come to your rescue. Denise Kohlmeyer writes, she says, can you relate to Hagar? Perhaps not to her situation, but to the emotions of fear, loneliness, feeling unloved. Maybe your husband has abandoned you. Maybe you've lost your job or your home. Maybe your parents neglected or abused you. Maybe your employer overlooks you. Maybe a friend has betrayed you. Perhaps you've wondered the same as Hagar when she found herself alone. Does anyone care about me? Perhaps you've wondered if God cares and you've even cried out, don't you even see what I'm going through, God? And she writes, the answer to all these heart-rending questions 
as it was for Hagar is yes, he does. And remember, just as he called her by name, he calls you by name. He says, come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Furthermore, if we believe in the name of Christ, if we believe in his name, then not only does he know our name, but then our name is written into eternity's life book. The Lamb's book. No one can erase that name from that book. No one can remove it. No one, nothing no instance can take us out of his hand. He doesn't just create us. He sees us. He gives value to us. And he sees to our need. Hagar saw that when God spoke to her in the desert. And he restored her. Now, I've said it before. We don't understand culturally. So let's put that in the context of today. You know the reason why the church exists. And it isn't just to have nice, fun children's ministries and send teenagers off to camp and to have teas and socials. It's to be a place where people can run. Jesus even called or even said it when he said, I came for the sick, not the healthy. And I feel that one of the, the biggest or one of the saddest things that we can do as a church is to put on our dress clothes and to put on our smiles and to come to church and act as if everything is all right. That's not why we're here. not the only reason why we're here. He is a God who sees. He is a God that gives value. He calls you by name. He sees your significance. He is a God that sees to your need. He's a restoring type of God. And so today we ask you, just as she said in verse 13, now I see the one who sees me. Do you see it in your life? Do you see him in your life? Do you see what he has to offer you? Claim it. Take hold of it. Let him give his value and pour it over you. Pray with me.